In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. everyone and welcome to Doing Good. And I'm thrilled to have on the podcast today, Susan Easton Black. Susan Black was born and raised in Long Beach, California. Susan was the first woman to teach religion at BYU and the first woman to receive the Carl G. Mazur Distinguished Faculty Lecturer Award for her research and writing which is the highest award given a professor at BYU. She was the recipient of the 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award in writing from the Latter-day Saint Publishing and Media Association. Susan has served two missions for the Historic Sites Department, a mission as a psychologist for LDS Social Services, a mission to the Nauvoo, Illinois Temple, and a mission in the St. George Temple Visitor Center. Susan is the mother of three sons. She enjoys writing, speaking, and being with George. She loves to play pickleball six days a week. Susan, do you still do that? That is so amazing. That is so amazing. And she plays table tennis in the Senior Olympic Games. And she's also in a bowling league. So Susan, you have so much. You are doing so much. You're an incredible person. I can't wait to talk with you today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Carmen. It'll be a treat to talk to you. I'm so excited. So first of all, I would love to talk about your childhood, a little bit about who Susan was as a child growing up in Long Beach, California. Okay. I had incredible parents, as I hope everybody listening did. I was the only daughter in the family. There were, I had four brothers and my favorite thing was to go to the beach. So fun. Did you surf? Did you body surf? Did you, what did you like to do at the beach? Oh, no. I, (laughs) we're just way out. I very seldom body surfed. I like the sand. I like chasing the seagulls, all of that running up and down. Oh, how fun. My mom grew up in San Bernardino and San Diego and same thing. She's like, I'd mostly just sunbathe all the time. She's like, now I regret that. But I love just being there in California. What a beautiful childhood. Did your parents, what made you fall in love with writing specifically? Did your parents parents encourage a lot of creativity and did you always love reading books? What got you interested in writing? So the writing this, if you see me, you would say, oh, there's no chance. But I, I wrote like probably everybody essays and, and things in, in high school and uh, grade school, you'd get the star. Then I went to the smiley face and, you know, great job. Welcome, you know, congratulations, but, but nothing, nothing really pushed the envelope. And then when I came to BYU, I started doing some modeling on the side. It was the time of, you know, smaller people were models back then. And, and so I lucked out. And then when I decided I would jump back into that, it was suggested, no, the look had changed. <laughs> and we were no longer looking for somebody like Twiggy, but, but tall and, and just as thin, I'm sure. But they suggested perhaps you could write fashion shows. Oh, wow. So my first writing was fashion shows. And I concluded through the years that if you can put 
plaid and polka dot and chiffon all in the same sentence, you could probably almost write anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where it started. And so would you would you write about the latest fashions or write about the models that were? I would write about the models as they were coming down the ramp. Oh, fun. And what to look for and to give the one on the side. Sometimes it was me as their narrator, but mostly others. And that's how it all kind of started. And then when I decided to go back to school and wanted to figure out, I knew I needed to work, but I wanted to do a a job where I wouldn't have to be away from home. And so I started knocking on doors of professors and asking them if they had information that they hadn't, they had gathered, but hadn't appeared in an article. And so I became a ghostwriter. Oh, wow. Many professors are are gatherers, and they're just incredible researchers, but it's putting it all together and getting in a top-tier article. Sure. And so I I became a a ghostwriter, and that put me through basically my doctorate degree. And then finally I go, you know, I can write my own books now. Right. (laughs) What was the first book that you wrote? The first book I had in my patriarchal blessing, it promised me I'd have great joy in genealogy. And so believing I wanted to get that, I don't know if it was out of the way, but at least make sure I got that part in my life. I wrote a uh, uh, history of my ancestors. Oh, wow. Family members or life stories and put it back. And that puts me back now into the 70s. But once I had done that, and with that fashion show background and writing random articles on many different topics, I was ready to launch on my own. How fun. I think it's so neat that you that you found something that you like to do and that you were good at and that you pursued that. What gave you the confidence to go up to a professor and say, hey, I think I'm a pretty good writer and I'd like to write for you. what That's that's so um, bold, especially, you know, I mean, for women back then, I know that there weren't as many opportunities and maybe that trust that, that, that people had. So what gave you that confidence to say, oh yeah, I could do that? Uh, I had an incredible father and he belonged to an organization called the Optimist Club. And like there's a Rotary Club and there's all kinds of clubs, but the Optimist Club had a theme, I can, I will, I must. Oh, I love and that. I had that theme on my mirror as long as I could remember from childhood. And whenever it seemed like, you know, I wasn't chosen for this or that, or I hadn't really stepped up to the mark, (laughs) it was always the can I will or must. And I have a really competitive spirit. You can probably tell since I still play a lot of sports. Yes. Yes. Well, what is that something that you feel you feel like you were born with that was a gift that you had? Or do you feel like it's something that you were able to cultivate and develop over time? I'm I'm the mother of four boys and some of them when they fail and they're able to pick themselves back up and get going with the next thing. Okay, well, what didn't work? And others like myself, I'm afraid sometimes I have a tendency and some of my children do of, well, then I just won't try anymore. I'll give up and I'll let that dream go and I won't do it. And so what did you do when you said, okay, well, if that didn't work, I'm just going to keep trying like that. I can, I will, I must even, even knowing that failure could be an option. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if failure is an option. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. 
<laughs> I, I just, I think that some people give up too quick and they can never realize perhaps their dreams are what they were meant to be. That perhaps it's a hope, it's a look to the future. But along the way, obviously, I've been blessed. I can't sing, I can't dance, and I'm willing to call those failures, I suppose, because I put no effort into it, right? But when I was a kid, I learned how to read by looking at the middle of the page and being able to see the whole page like, a, like you're taking a photograph. Oh, wow. And so then you can imagine reading became very, very fast. And to be able to write, you've got to be able to read. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're writing nonfiction. Right. I have a fiction book that's coming out in April. I'm really excited. There, there's an old saying that if you're a historian, the reason you're a historian is because you just like one darn fact after another and that you have no personality. And so every true historian has to write one fiction book. And I'm absolutely so thrilled that I've written with my husband, George, that we actually have a fiction book coming out so that people will know, hey, she was fun. She wasn't just that, you know, the fact lady who could recall. Right. Well, that is so exciting. What is your fiction book called? It's called Wesley and I for an Eye. And Ooh. It's about... It's about revenge, misplaced, uh, what happens when you tell a lie and it, it, how it expands. And, but the crazy thing, it's very, very funny and a total page turner. That is so split. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that is amazing. And I love that you are doing, there's not, there's not a time limit. I think that sometimes people think, well, if I haven't made it by this age, or if I haven't accomplished it by this age, then my life is over. And and here you are. If, for those that can't see, obviously this is a podcast. So you can't see what I'm looking at, but Susan has dozens and dozens and dozens of book be books behind her that you have written. I mean, do you even know how many at this point? Do you have a number? Uh, I think I'm about 180, something like that. Oh my goodness. And that's probably not including articles and right, right. Like, I mean, so you've written, I mean, safe to say hundreds of, of pages worth, I mean, hundreds, thousands, thousands. of pages worth of, of content. And, and I think it's amazing that you're like, oh, and now I'm writing this fiction book and now I'm doing this. And what have you done to, to keep that creative spirit alive and cultivated in your life? Well, I, I've just never been someone that could just clean the house and think I had a good day. And I've never been somebody that could just run a whole bunch of errands. <laughs> I think I had a good day. <laughs> you know, I think in life we are either a producer or consumer. And the producer is out there fighting, willing to get slammed, but forging ahead no matter what. And the consumer is willing to, you know, sit back and buy. And I think we're, we're all a part of both. But at this point in my life, you know, even though I'm cruising towards 80, right? I, <laughs> I have no plans to stop. I love that so much. Yeah, that is I, such you know, you, you just, you got to have purpose. Yes. Got to be something that drives you a reason to get up every day. I mean, you, you just have to, there's, there's got to be something in life that you go, wow, I just can't wait for the day to start. It's just going to be my best ever. Right. 
Well, what was what was the book that I guess put you on the map, should we say? Like what was the book that was like, okay, now you are starting to get recognition, people know who you are, you have a name for yourself. What was that book? Right. So the genealogy went about my family. That did not put me on the back on the map. But obviously my dad and family liked it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it swept their guilt away. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say the one where I started getting awards was when it was finding Christ through the Book of Mormon. And that that one started, I think the one that is lasting perhaps a test of time has been uh, Who's Who in the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, I wrote it in the late 80s, 1980s, and still has traction today. You know, wow. Still in itself. So, I, you know, eventually it just kind of picks up and rolls. And I've come up with a system that seems to work for writing it, whether it's like I wrote the official book for the 2002 Olympics, and whether it's writing about bobsleds, <laughs> whether it's writing about Joseph Smith, Christ, whatever it is, if you have a system where you can move it out, it makes it, I don't know, wonderful. Right, right now I'm writing biographies for different individuals, and it's been incredibly fun. And that opportunity started after I finished the biography on President, President Ballard. Were you able, did you write it with him? Were you able to, how did that come about? Did you have meetings with him? Did you sit down with him? Or did someone kind of present you with his material and life sketch and then you wrote <laughs> off of that? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say all of the above, but he's such a magnificent person that, you know, to see the hand of the Lord in his life and to see how he sees afar, you know, things in the future. It was truly a, great experience, but I was, how, how I had the opportunity, I was asked to be the historian for a, an organization in the church called Just Serve. And so then began writing that and everything just kind of mushroomed. Wow. So besides being an incredible author and a distinguished author, you were also the first woman to teach religion at Brigham Young University. How did, how did that call come about? Because I read an article in the Desert News that said you would never do that. So tell me about how you accepted that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm at BYU at the time. I'm teaching on a finance area. I'm teaching financial portfolio analysis. And everything's going good. And we have as our president, President Oaks, down to H. Oaks. And... He, anyway, I got invited to teach religion, to move over. And my thought was, no way, I, I do not want to be a fireside queen. <laughs> I've worked too hard. And, you know, like I have a son who's a professor now at the year. And he said to me, hey, mom, you ever spoken in Washington, D.C.? And I go, oh, sure, at the visitor center, at mission conferences. And he goes, well, I'm about to speak at the Pentagon. And I go, oh my gosh, Todd, you know, you're living my dream. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, at least in my case, after I knew that, you know, I had the talent for academics and forged ahead in a time when all my high school friends, they stopped going to school after high school. <laughs> yeah. He was still running on the beach and weird claims, right? And yeah. I, I kept going on to school. And then, so I, I first turned down the opportunity. 
because I, I didn't see it as that wasn't how I had seen my life. Sure. Well, we all know what it's like to make the wrong choice <laughs> to the wrong person. Yep. Right? And unfortunately, it happens way too often in my life. And so when the opportunity came again to teach religion, I go, okay, I, I will do it. And I promise I won't look back. And truly, as the years came and went, I thought I had birthed every Relay Society happy birthday that there was, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, and firesides all over the place. But to the friends I've made, what I've been able to learn and retain, you know, wish I'd been smart enough the first time to say yes. Well, I think that what you said is exactly right, is that we learn lessons from our failures and from saying <laughs> no. And so maybe it wouldn't have meant as much to you or, or there would have been different doors. You wouldn't have met certain people or done certain things that it was, it was the right time and that you were able to recognize that and say, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to make that same mistake again and that you were able to accept that. And I just, I think you are such an amazing woman, such a neat lady that you, you have this drive and this, this excited and gung-ho spirit that do you feel like this was just something that you've been blessed with? Or is it, is there a fear of, you know, maybe not accomplishing something or what do you feel like just keeps you going and, and doing new things and trying new things and not wanting to just, you know, be stay home and make the dinners or run the errands, which is a wonderful thing too. But for you, yes, but you've just Uh seen like you've, you've wanted to do something more and be something more and keep driving and keep going forward. What do you think that is? Like I say, I think it was instilled as a child, you know, you ever been sick and suddenly you feel well. Yeah. (laughs) Such a glorious feeling. And so, you know, when, you know, in my era, as I'm, coming into my own in the 1960s and 70s. It was not a, an era for women. women. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you have to try harder. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just produce equal. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you set yourself on a pace. And then pretty soon you go, I like the pace. <laughs> and lucky for me, my... Husband likes the base, you know. And anyway, it's it's been a blessing. I don't okay. have any desire to have my name in neon lights, but I do have a desire to leave for the next generation. Yes. The research that has been finished, published, so that others won't have to do it and they can dig new trenches and build on build on things I've done in the past. I think that is so amazing. And that was what I was going to ask you is, is how your husband has kept up with you or if he has the same pace as you, that you work well together in that way. Well, he's, he's incredibly fun (laughs) (laughs) and he's funny and we talk together and, you know, after we talk, they'll say, Hey, George, I love you. And I'll say, God, Susan, you're really smart. (laughs) (laughs) Seems a little shattered through it all, but uh, I think we, we both have a drive to make the world a better place. I and love that. The way to do it, at least for us, you know, our families, we think they're great. Yes. And keep hearing our talents. Well, and that you were able to discover that and just have that confidence of knowing what it was, because I can't imagine doing research and sitting for hours and learn. I love to learn and I love to read. I'm, I, that's, 
I'm a consumer as far as that goes. I love to learn and read and study. I am the more of the performer and the singer. That's what I love to do. Oh, but, but but something that you said that was interesting is you said I didn't I wasn't talented in that area because I didn't put effort in, effort into it. And I think it's true that when we have a passion for something, that's where our efforts go. But that's not to say that we couldn't put effort into something and just and and learn a new talent or do something else because you're either blessed with talent and you have or a skill and you don't have to put on as much effort or you're not maybe blessed with that talent, but if you still put in a lot of effort, you can still kind of achieve the same results. Just depends on how hard you're willing to work at something and do history work and doing research, man, I can't imagine doing that myself, but I love reading about it and I love studying and something that you have put a lot of time and effort into is obviously the life of Joseph Smith. And, and, and I've, I've read certain things that you've said that you just, you're like, you can set my hair on fire and rip out my fingernails. And I would never deny that. I know that he is a prophet and, and did that very firm testimony come from doing your own research and studying? Because I know there are people on the opposite side that, that claim to have studied and researched. And I don't know what, what they found or where they found it, but they're like, Oh, there's no way I believe that. And you were like, no, this is absolutely something that I am firm on. How did that testimony come to be? Well, okay. years of work, I guess. Yeah, but I had a grandmother who lived in our home and she only made it to eighth grade and that was it. And when she would put me to bed at night, I wanted to tell me a story. I wanted to hear Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. I liked the, they lived happily ever after. And she yeah. I can only tell you things that are true. And oh, interesting. About Joseph Smith, our ancestors. And then when she died, when I was a teenager, I'm off now to BYU. And I took a class from a great professor named Milton Backman. And he, would, he taught church history. And suddenly he was telling grandma's stories. And, but the difference was I could go up to him after class and he could tell me what book they were from, what article, whether they're in special collections. And then I could go check it out. And I was hooked. Wow. And so you you kind of had a deep dive in, into Joseph Smith and, and his life and have written multiple books about about him and Brigham Young. Has that has anything you've read or studied or written shaken your testimony or or has it been more of reaffirming it? So like everyone, you know, there are things that you come across where all of a sudden you go, what's that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so I found when I was younger and in a do- gospel doctrine class, I would raise my hand and be the one that everyone dislikes who has a question that the teacher can't answer, right? Right. And pretty soon I realized I, I didn't want to be that person. And so I got out an old missionary journal, and I just started writing every question I had yes. about Joseph Smith, whoever it was, and, you know, and I just, I'm feeling it. And then every year at Christmas time, I get out the old journal And I look to see which questions I can answer now. And at this point in my life, I don't know, I'm pretty close to maybe 90%. So 90% are bad odds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, these these people 
that say to me, you know, I have so many questions. That's why I'm leaving the church. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I found so many answers. That's why I'm staying. I love that. That I have so many questions. You're like, but I found so many answers. And it, but it does take, it takes effort and it takes time and it takes research. And and you've put in those hours of of yeah. seeking and and truly trying to find and and I think it's a it's obviously we all have questions. We all have things that we're like, this doesn't make sense to me. But in, there's, I think there's a difference between doubting and questioning. And questioning is trying to seek an answer. And doubting is more, well, I don't believe this and prove me wrong instead of I have a question about this and I'm going to put in the research and the time to try and, and find an answer. And I still, I, I think that we can have questions about things and wonder and have peace and I don't, doubting is different. I don't think there's, there's any peace that comes with doubt. In fact, in the scriptures, it, it says to doubt not, but it does say to ask a lot of questions, ask, seek, knock, but it also says not doubt, not don't doubt. So how have you been able to have this beautiful questioning curiosity spirit and, and not allow that to kind of intermingle or mix with doubting? Oh, oh wow. You know, I was born under the covenant. <laughs> I was baptized. <laughs> I entered the covenant path. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much as a kid, I made, you know, those choices as a youth and, you know, and kind of moved through life. It's been such a good life when you make the right choice. So how can you doubt when you have the Holy Ghost that testifies to you constantly of the truth? I mean, it's that simple. And so I found a lot of people, seems like church history is a scapegoat. <laughs> they can find some obscure fact, but when that, you're right, they, they find an obscure possible fact, but they don't take the time to, to search it out. So, you know, truth edifies. Truth yes. does not destroy. Right. And when truth edifies, doubt just flees away. I, it, it's true. And I seems like, well, Susan, you have, you have a gift of, of just knowing right from wrong. And, and that is a spiritual gift. It says to some, it is given to just, you have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, this is the restored church. And you're like, so that's all there is to it. And I do think that is a spiritual gift to just be able to say, yeah, it doesn't mean I'm always living it. Right, because <laughs> we're mortal and human and make yeah. mistakes and we're natural. Yeah, you know, I've got that part figured out. <laughs> yes, yes. But but my oldest son has the same gift and it was he, he was able to receive, he's 14, he just received his patriarchal blessing a few weeks ago. And it was so interesting just to hear in his blessing, just reaffirming that, yep, for him it's, it's black and white. It's right and wrong. And, 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 you know, and not everyone, everyone has different gifts and are blessed with different things. And, but for some people it's just, well, of course I would read the scriptures every night because I was told that it would bring me happiness. And so why wouldn't I want that? You know, and I, of course I go to church every Sunday because I renew my covenants and it's what I'm supposed to do. Like, why wouldn't I keep the commandments? And I just, I just think that's amazing that to have that gift of, well, yeah, 
this is is what you do and and to be that example for others. And I think that because you are that way and you are able to bless so many other people's lives through, through your teaching and through your years at BYU and through all of the incredible books that you've written, that you can be that. I think we all need someone in our lives to know someone that is that rock solid, sure foundation that when we're like, oh, I don't know that you, oh, but I know someone that I know without a doubt, you know, has that rock solid black and white sure foundation. And that is, I'm sure you are a strength to so many people around you and even people that don't know you through <laughs> everything you've done that you have great. been a strength. Others are a great strength. Sorry, say that one more time. Who's so a great I'm saying others. Oh, great strength to me, you know, religion and being able to ask questions in a faculty setting proved a great blessing to me. Oh, I'm sure. And with other people that are, studying and learning and teaching Mm -hmm. would be amazing. So besides writing your, your fiction book and that you've just finished, what is, what is next for you? How else are you going to do good in this world with the time (laughs) you have left? (laughs) Well, okay. You know, well, you know, hopefully, you know, that's always number one, right? Sure. Being nice every day. You just can't mess on that. Giving service, you know, serving in the church, those kind of things you know, make life's great, getting together with neighbors and friends. Those are always wonderful times. Well, I bet you have lots of really fun conversations with neighbors and friends. I bet they just pick your brain all the time. <laughs> it would be fun to to be at a dinner party with you, Susan, or to play pickleball <laughs> with you or something. <laughs> I think that would be so fun. And so are you, are you back and forth from St. George or are you up north? Where are you right now? Well, our home is in Provo. I live pretty close to the university. Oh, nice. So I spend most of my time here. Fun. Um, yes, it has been great. That is wonderful. Well, if people want to learn more about you or read some of your 180 plus books, like where can they go to find the Susan Black collection? Where can people go to to read more oh, of your work? I don't really <laughs> oh, know. They're kind of all over, but I would imagine, you know, you could find them on the internet somewhere. Awesome. And do you have any at like Deseret Book right now or Amazon? Yes. Both. Yes. Oh, perfect. Well, and do you have a release date for your new one? April. Oh, fun. Yes. And and will that be available on Amazon, those types of places too? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, perfect. How fun. Well, it was so fun talking with you today and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you for all of the good you are doing. Hey, same. Look what you're doing. <laughs> well, I I feel like a very small thing compared to to compared to what you're doing, but I hope to I hope to do the same thing as you and leave a legacy of good in the lives of people that I know and in my children in my small way. And that's what I love about this podcast that I interview everyone from designers who make clothing to people that write books to people that are putting together care baskets for friends that have lost people from cancer and other things. And it's just so interesting that we all are so different and we are all blessed with so many different unique and wonderful gifts, but that heavenly father needs all of us to spread light and goodness in this world, whatever we've been blessed with. And so it's so fun to be able to talk with different people from all walks of life and figure out what heavenly father has blessed them with and how they are spreading good in the world. So it's honestly so much fun for me. So thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. 
I am Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word, at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.